Hey, it's Scott Petrak with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. The Browns beat the Vikings 14-7 to Sunday for their third straight win. The defense was dominant, which was necessary because Baker Mayfield struggled. The Browns play another difficult game on the road Sunday versus the L.A. Chargers. Here to break it all down with me is Dave Chodowski from the WKYC Morning News. Dave, how are you? Scott, I'm well. I mean, you can't beat three and one. I mean, sure, four and oh, but we'll take <laughs> three and one for sure. My fantasy team's three and one. I just came off a big win this week, so I'm pumped about that. I just got gas at Costco for 276. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I you can't beat it right now. I'll tell you. Now, the only the only down thing is, and this isn't down because if I'm going to be wrong, I want to be wrong. But I, I'll be man enough to admit I predicted the Vikings to win, and I was wrong. You predicted the Browns. You were right. Congratulations to you. 4-0 now straight up on the Brownies. Thank you. Yeah, and the Browns covered, so I think I'm I think I'm two and two versus Fred, I think. Because I lost I don't lost the Texans game, and I think the er, I'd have to go back and look at that. I think I may be may, I might be three and one. But um yeah, I mean the key is that they won. Obviously, it played out way different than we thought it would, right? We both had 27, 24 scores, um, flip-flopped. Uh, and to me, that was keeping the score down. Because I thought familiarity between coaching staffs, things might play out a little funky, a little different than I thought. But I certainly did not expect 14 to 7, right? A total of two touchdowns, both in the first half. The Vikings on their first drive. I I just thought both offenses were too explosive for that to happen. Now, I I think the Browns offense shot itself in the foot and made too many mistakes. And we'll get into Baker a bunch later. But I just thought the Browns' defense was so good that it took away what the Vikings were trying to do. And I, I thought it legitimized everything the defense had shown the week earlier against Chicago. So it, it played out different. But in the end, the Browns get that win. And like we talked about, it starts a difficult five-game stretch. And it was really important to start it with a, with a victory. Yeah, and def- to defend where I was on my pick, and I, you know, I'm pretty open about how I feel about things, I am the type of person that I needed to see them go on the road and win in a hostile environment because they didn't have that last year. And I, that was a concern of mine. And also I still needed to see the defense do something against a quarterback like cousins, an offense like the Vikings, what they did against the bears was tremendous. But again, I thought part of that was the rookie quarterback. So I needed to see it happen before I was going to predict it. That's just, I'm just telling you why I did it. And, you know, I, I was shocked by the defense. I did not see that coming. If you'd have told me the Browns were only going to score 14 points, I definitely would have told you they were going to lose. <laughs> I did not know the defense could be that dominating, and they proved it. And they went in in a hostile environment. And despite Baker Mayfield, they were able yeah. to come away with the victory. So, I, you know, a lot of people in Cleveland are down right now about Baker, and they're upset because they didn't win 28-7 or 35-7. See, to me, I think you should be walk away impressed by this win. To me, this is the most impressive win of the year. Now, it might not be their most impressive performance. You could argue their most impressive performance was in a loss to Kansas City. But this was the most impressive win because they did it on the road, and they did it with Baker playing the way he did and the defense dominating. So hats off to the Browns, in my opinion. No, I think those are good points, Chud. I I agree with that. I, I would agree with the most impressive win for sure. I think the Vikings are the best of those three teams the Browns have beaten in the last three weeks. And, you know, and you're right, maybe not the most impressive performance because I liked how 
especially the offense played against the Chiefs. But I, I think when we talk about this defense and the performance against the Vikings, which built on that historic performance against the Bears, but there were mitigating factors, right? There weren't really any mitigating factors for the Vikings. They were at home. Kirk Cousins was playing as well as he has in his career. He had eight touchdowns and no picks going into that game. Dalvin Cook came back. And, you know, I know he left for a little bit with an ankle, but with an ankle injury, but he looked good to me. He looked, you know, he looked like Dalvin Cook. They have their receivers, Thielen and Jefferson, and K.J. Osborne's a good number three. So, you know, it was all there for the Vikings, and they showed what they could do in that first drive. And then the Browns adjusted, whether it was Joe Woods changing things or just the defense, the players themselves settling in. Um, they really took it to Minnesota. And I think my biggest takeaway is the way the defensive line played. And, you know, and that's how it's supposed to play. When you have overall number one picks, you know, Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney and Tack McKinley's a first rounder. Malik Jackson's been around a long time. Malik McDowell was a second rounder, even though he hasn't played in the league, he was, you know, a second rounder. They got a lot of pieces up front and they just hadn't gelled to where you wanted them to be until maybe Chicago, right? But again, Chicago is a bad offensive line, a bad, you know, a rookie quarterback making his first start, all those things. But for them, for that front four to dominate like it did against the Vikings, and I know there were only two sacks, but they were in Kirk Cousins' face all day. They pressured him, him in a bunch of incompletions. He was hit 10 times, you know, officially 10 times. I think they pressured him way more than that. Um, that's the perfect recipe, and I'm working on an analysis right now. That's a perfect recipe for how you want your defense to play because if you can get pressure with only your front four, it allows the coordinator yeah. so much freedom, right? It allows the cornerbacks and linebackers and safeties to feel like the weight of the world's not on their shoulders because they can trust the front four to get there. And then when Joe Woods did bring a blitz, it got home. John Johnson the third forced an incompletion. Um, Denzel Ward had, I think, multiple quarterback hits and a half a sack. It just felt like when then when you dial up a blitz, number one, you catch the offense off guard. And number two, they had enough problem blocking your four guys. So if you bring guy five or guy six, those guys are going to get home, right? And then it really puts pressure on the quarterback to make a quick decision and make the, the right read and get rid of the ball accurately, all those things. So if the front four can continue to play like this, and I don't expect it to be every week, but I think maybe more times than not, and if you do it in the biggest games, um, then I think there's really – the sky's then the limit for, the, for what this defense can do. Yeah, I had defensive line highlighted down here to talk about that, and I'm glad you, you brought that up right away because it was impressive. Cousins just did not have the time to throw. He never could get in a groove. I can't believe, Scott, after that first drive when they scored as easily as they did that they didn't score again. That's shocking to me. Yeah. Now, I will I will say this. The Vikings hurt themselves with penalties, and, you know, that penalty in the end zone kind of changed the, the tide of the game, so that was big. And, and also, don't you think there maybe should have been a flag on the last play of the game? I haven't heard a lot of talk about that, but, boy, when I watched that, I think the Browns got away with one there. I know what you're saying. Um, Greedy Williams has his back to the line of scrimmage. I think it was Thielen, um, and he's got his hands on him. Yeah, and he's got his hands on him. So I, I know what you're saying, and if it happened to the Browns, I'm sure Browns fans would be complaining. <laughs> That's my right? Point. right, yes. But in that situation, it was borderline Hail Mary, right? 
that I just don't think you can throw the flag there. I think these defensive backs are taught in that type of situation. You get your hands on the guys in the end zone. You're expecting it to be some kind of a jump ball. And I think it really has to be egregious for a, a flag to be thrown. And I did not think that was that qualified as egregious. So I, I thought it was a good non-call. I think, you know, if I, I think if that had been called and then all of a sudden the Vikings forks overtime or they go for two for the win, um, I, I think we'd be, I think we'd be all over the rest. So I, I like the non-call there. Okay. And I love that answer. And you sold me well done. That's <laughs> good, point. good point. Good point. But you know, you, you talk about two point conversions and real yeah. quick, people are probably wondering how come we haven't gotten to Baker and Odell and all that. Oh, trust me, we will. That will be a heavy part of this. But let's enjoy the win and talk about the, the positive before we sure. get to, to, to the drama and the negative. Stefanski going for two there. Love that. I love how he makes these risky calls. And whether you call that risky or not, that changed the kind of the flow of the game and kind of the way it went, I thought, by going for the two-point conversion. And, you know, again, we've seen him go for it on fourth down. Really, you know, good for him. Homecoming game, gets the win. And, uh, you know, that, that was impressive. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because, number one, the whole game turned on that drive, right? They get the eight points because they get the touchdown, the two-point conversion. Um, all of a sudden, instead of it even being seven and seven, like it feels different if you're Minnesota and you go into the locker room and you're trailing. Right. You know, the Browns are going to get the ball to start the second half. Um, and actually, they, they tacked on another field goal, I think, before the end of the half. Right. They got the stop and then they had the big draw play to Kareem Hunt, on, which I can't believe the Vikings let him convert a third and 20 there. And it sets up, the yeah. you know, a late um, Chase McLaughlin field goal. Um, but I, I think the fact that Stefanski, you know, takes the point off the board, so to speak, with the extra point goes for two. And we saw him do the same thing against Kansas City. And I know that the opponent plays into it. And he thought it was going to be a higher scoring game. You know, he said that on Monday. Yeah. When I went for it on fourth down early, I felt like we're going to need to score touchdowns, not field goals. And it wound up not being that type of game. But it speaks to his mindset. It also, it speaks to the overall philosophy that he has. And I think the organization in general has. Because it's not just the Stefanski go for it on fourth and fourth decision. Yes, it's his final decision. But he sits in meetings on Friday with, you know, the analytics department and the data guys who say, you know, they, they give him the percentages, right? And these are calculated. Your win percentage when you go for it in this situation is, you know, 60%. If you punt, it's 40%. Whatever those numbers are, like he knows. And they have kind of a formula for when you go for it, when you don't go for it, as far as, you know, on fourth down, when you kick a field goal, when you punt, when you go for two. Like all that stuff has been discussed. And I think it, it also plays, not only does he buy into the analytics part of it, I think it plays into his general aggressive nature. And I, I think a third part of that is if you're the play caller and you spent all week designing a game plan and you're working with your offense, you have kind of an inner confidence that yes, we're going to convert. And, and I think there's a difference there between offensive coaches and defensive coaches where I think we've seen it just throughout, you know, throughout the NFL. Defensive coaches feel less likely to go for it in those type of situations, or maybe they have to learn to go for it and have to be convinced. But if you're the guy that is calling the play and design that play, I just think inherently you're like, yeah, we're going to convert it. Like you're confident 
And I think all that plays into what has been Kevin Stefanski's aggressive nature to this point. And I just don't think it's changing. I think all the fans, and, you know, I'm, like I said, I've referenced it before. I'm on these text chains and I got buddies, you know, texting me. And there's, man, take the points, take the points. He's not going to. So I think you just better get used to an aggressive nature out of Kevin Stefanski. So let's wrap up on the defense. Got to feel good for Greedy Williams on that interception. No doubt. Chud, I kept flashing back to him as a rookie in 2019, right? Second round pick. And talking to him at points of the year, and he was frustrated he hadn't gotten an interception yet. And he went all year without one. 12 starts, 12 games, no interceptions. And it really bothered him because he considers himself a playmaker. Then he has to sit out all of last year. Everybody knows with the shoulder, nerve damage in the shoulder. So for him in his first start this year, replacing Greg Newsom the second, for him to get an interception, and it wasn't any kind of fluke. It was a really strong play. He read the cut, he read the play right. His guy cleared. He picks up Thielen. He spots, you know, the ball. He spots Cousins. He spots the ball, makes a nice play on it. Um, I thought he played well throughout the game. Again, tough quarterback, tough receiver matchups. So for him to get that, I felt good for Greedy. And you know his teammates did the way they talked about him. And again, it shows the depth. It's such a critical position if that cornerback spot is. And the Browns have Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom the second, Troy Hill. Greedy Williams is their number four. And if he can be your number four, I I think you're in a great spot. You know, and I don't know every roster across the league in and out, but I would venture to say that he's one of the better number four corners in this league. Well, at the beginning of the year, I did a feature story on on the morning. All right, Scott, cheap plug time for me now. I uh, did a feature on the Go Morning Show where I reside on uh, Channel 3 as uh, I'd like to get in there, here and there. But uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the things, things I talked about concerns this year were, and you said this right off the bat, injuries and too serious. We'll get into that a little bit more Now, these last two weeks, it's not a concern. But the other thing I talked about was if the Baker Mayfield of 2019 shows up and his chemistry with Odell Beckham Jr. And boy, oh boy, that was on full display. They got away with a win, even though he did not look good. And that's being nice, Scott. It was really, I mean, you know, deciding to you know, run the ball when he has a wide open guy. He completely missed Odell there at the end of the game, high throws at other times. He did not look like the first pick in the NFL draft should look. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Chud. And, and I think there's so many points to talk about. Let's start with here though. Yes. He was the number one overall pick and he will always be judged like that. And that's a tough thing. It's a tough thing for quarterback because so many expectations come with that, but I, I don't think he would shy away from that, and that's just the histor- history. He was the number one pick in the draft. So when you look at a bad performance, yes, that comes up. And yes, you compare him to top draft picks like Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, the Browns are going to face this week, and Josh Allen from the same draft class, right? You look at those guys, and you go, man, does Baker stack up to those guys? And it's a fair comparison. Um, but it's also fair. To, it's also worth noting that 
he just has to be the best guy for the Browns, right? He doesn't have to play. He doesn't have to put up the numbers of some of these other guys because he's not being asked to do that. Now that doesn't, I'm not kind of rationalizing anything that happened Sunday because he did not play well Sunday. He missed, you mentioned missing Felton, who was wide open. You mentioned missing um, Odell late in the game, which he obviously did. And we'll get into more Odell. Uh, I thought Baker just looked uncomfortable kind of throughout. And I, I don't know if that was because there's pressure early and he didn't, I don't think he handled it well, right? When I say pressure, there was the offensive line gave up some pressure early. He got hit a little bit. Um, I think it affected him, right? We saw it on that fourth down. I think it was a fourth down play. Yeah, he took the sack on fourth down. Um, both tackles kind of got compromised. And I don't know if Baker, he thought he could escape to the right and he couldn't. He wants to take a big loss. Like, I, I just never thought he gained comfort inside the pocket. And we saw it, and to me, that was a big difference between 2019 and 2020. Was Baker didn't trust his protection in 19. He did in 20, and it really calmed him down. And he was able to make a bunch of throws inside and outside the pocket. And the, I think the line is still good. Obviously, Jed Wills is going through some stuff with that ankle and hasn't performed great. So, you know, so there is more pressure than last year that Baker's dealing with. Um, he's getting hit more, which is troublesome for any quarterback. But I, I, I guess my point is I don't think just because there's that kind of pressure early, like he can't be bothered by it. He's got to rise above that and figure out a way to deal with it. And I think eventually in the game he settled down that way and he felt more comfortable with the surroundings and he wasn't trying to leave. But then the accuracy left, right? He, he, stopped, he stopped hitting guys. And it was, I thought as the game went on, the throws got worse. And there were some bad throws early, but I thought there were more bad throws late. And, and that's troublesome because we've talked about this before, Chud. He entered the league that was supposed to be his strength, his accuracy. And he started out the season so well. He was leading the league after two games that I still think he is an accurate quarterback. And when it all settles down at the end of the year, he probably completes 65% of his passes. And that's plenty, right? In this offense and with the running game and all that, I, I think the Browns can live with Baker completing 65% of their pa his passes but they can't live with 45 like he was the other day, especially when some of those throws were easy, right? They were easy throws to make. So, you got me, Scott? All right, Scott, sorry, a little uh, technical difficulties on my end here in the broadcasting world. You never know. But <laughs> I, I got to say, though, you know, you bring up a lot of valid points when it comes to Baker. But one thing, you know, a lot of people are talking about, do you think he's hurting? Is he physically hurting? And is that is that a big reason why we're seeing him struggle here the last, you know, two games? I think it's a possibility. I, I do not want to discount the possibility at all. And I think it'd be unfair to do that and unfair to – criticize him so harshly if in fact the left shoulder separation or dislocation or whatever you want to call it against the Texans is still affecting him and affecting him, him significantly right now he he says it's not a factor it's you know I throw with my right arm he said after the game 
I asked Kevin Stefanski on Monday, and he said, I don't think that's the, the reason. He goes, and I based that on watching him throw in practice. Now, you know, maybe there's a difference. Maybe, you know, in practice, he's not getting hit. So maybe the first hit happened Sunday, and he feels the left shoulder, and it's tough to throw in the NFL, you know, when you're in pain. So I'm not going to discount that, but I'm also not ready to just say, yes, that's the reason. So I'm ready for I'm ready for my take on Baker. And, yeah. you know, here's simply what I, I think it comes down to. And I think this is a way that we can just simplify it for fans. OK. And you brought up Josh Allen and, and you know, there's, there's Mahomes and all these quarterbacks. And, and these are guys, Scott, and I talked about it last week, that can overcome the issues on their teams to have a winning team. And you bring up a good point. The Browns don't need Baker to necessarily be that guy. But I'm going to put it in three phases. If Baker was that guy, if he was a Mahomes or an Allen or a, a, a Brady or a, a, a Rodgers, if he was elite, he's just not elite yet. And if he was elite, I might pick this team to win the Super Bowl, probably go to the Super Bowl, but he's not. If he was like most quarterbacks we've had since 1999, we would maybe not make the playoffs or perhaps just get in, maybe lose in the first round. So I, I don't want people to forget what we have lived with since 99. And if we had some of these other quarterbacks, who knows what how they would hold this team back. But what we do have is we have Baker, a guy that's in between those two things. And I think with Baker, you're getting to the playoffs and you have a shot to win in the playoffs and you have a shot to go to the Super Bowl. But it's not a guarantee because he is not elite yet. And I wonder if he can get to that point. And that's kind of how I view him is right in the middle. Yeah, I think that's fair, Chud. Um, I, you know, I, I think we got to remember four games into, right, his fourth season, but only second with Kevin Stefanski. Like we have to remember how well he played in the last half of last season and even in those two playoff games. But he's clearly not elite yet. Um, and he certainly didn't play like an elite quarterback last week. But the question is, can he get close enough to elite um, by this January, by this February, right? Or when he gets to the playoffs, if, you know, assuming the Browns get there, can he play at that level? Because that's what it's going to come down to. And, and you're right. Um, he's not there. And we can argue about or discuss whether or not he's got a, an elite skill set. And I think that's what some fans struggle. You know, when he struggles, I, I think it's easy to, for fans to say, well, you know, he's only six one, and he doesn't run like Mahomes or Allen or, you know, Aaron Rodgers even. Lamar Jackson, obviously. Um, and, and all that's true, right? Those are true. But you can still succeed in this league at 6-1 with a strong arm. Um, you know, it's probably not – it's not Pat Mahomes or Justin Herbert arm, but it's a strong arm um, if you're smart enough, if you're accurate enough, and if you make good decisions. So that's what Baker has to do, right? And he needs to make just enough plays with his feet. And I, and I thought Sunday there were a couple of plays where he didn't look particularly athletic to me. And, you know, I wanted – and it just – you think, man, can he make these kind of off-schedule plays – but then he has that one scramble and he dives, you know, down the sideline, which might have been a first down, but Stefanski doesn't challenge. So there are glimpses of enough athleticism. And I think we've seen that through his first three plus years. Uh, it's just when he's struggling, it's easier to see the flaws. 
and where he kind of falls short against those quarterbacks that you and I have mentioned. Um, so yeah, I think everything you said is fair. It's just, can he raise his game consistently enough to get close enough to that elite group? Because I think with the roster around him, he doesn't necessarily need to be Mahomes or Allen, but he needs to be close enough. But just imagine if he was, and that's the problem because fans see him as the first pick in the draft and they want him to be that guy. And, and if he was that guy, everyone would be feeling better right now. And, well, yeah, and I think that's the fear is that they don't want him to derail what could be. They don't, they don't, fans don't care anymore about the fact that, that this team struggled for so many years. They see what could possibly be and they're nervous that it could be derailed. Well, I mean, that's fine. And, and I get it. But the fact is, if Baker were any of those other guys, the Browns would be the overwhelming Super Bowl favorite because they have so much talent around him, right? None of those quarterbacks that we mentioned have the running game that the Browns have, right? I'm not sure any of them have the front four that the Browns have on defense. So, you know, we can talk about, you know, the skill position guys, you know, you can compare them to other teams. So yeah, the Browns would be the favorite, but, and I, and I get what the fans are saying. I would also say, you know, if he plays like he did for three quarters of that Kansas city game, they're fine. Right. Um, If he plays like he did for the second half of the Texans game, they're fine. He just needs to be more consistent and not that you can't have clunkers like this. I mean, Aaron Rodgers played terrible week one. He threw like two picks and he had a 36 quarterback rating. And that's Aaron Rodgers. Like guys have bad games in this league. It happens. Um, Now it's tough to take when it happens. And Baker doesn't obviously have the same track record and resume of a guy like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or, or even, you know, Mahomes or even Josh Allen. Josh Allen feels like he's a half a year or a year ahead of Baker when we talk about development. But Baker did play at a close to, I, I think, a close to elite level over the second half of last season. And if he plays there for the rest of this season, the Browns are going to win a ton of games and they're going to be in the discussion and have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And I, I think that's enough. For Baker at this stage in his career, I think you have to remember that even if you don't love Baker and you, you know, you say fans are worried, like where's the upgrade coming from? Right. Like I'm not, I'm not even comfortable having that discussion right now because it's one yeah. game in week four and nothing's going to happen to this quarterback position. Um, but big picture, like there's, there's not an upgrade out there for Baker Mayfield, at least that yeah. I can see short term. So it, it's just a matter of, you know, Baker, figuring things, some things out, maybe getting a little more healthy. And I fully expect him to have a bounce back game in LA because we've seen Baker with his back against the wall. To me, this doesn't even count is his back against the wall. It's just him upset at how he played last week, right? He called it piss poor. He said, I don't know where that came from, right? I don't know where in the hell that came from or whatever the quote was about his inaccuracy. So I expect Baker to be more focused than ever this week and rebound against the chargers. And I think people will be singing a different tune uh, a week from now. So Scott, answer me this. When did Baker really start playing well last year? I, I, it's right around the bye week I mean, that's what every, that's what Stefanski and Baker and Alex Van Pelt all point to is coming out of the bye week um, was when he really started to play well. Now, before the bye week he had the big game against, against Cincinnati right after Odell got hurt, he was almost perfect. Um, down the stretch, 
threw that winning touchdown to DPJ. So there were hints early, but then the consistency really started after the bye. So I would say the last 10 games, if you throw in the two playoff games, he played well for the last 10 games of last year. And he was playing well, you thought, this year in, in the first two games and the, the last two games, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, the Texans game, you know, I mean, they scored their first few drives in Kansas City, right? It was a bad pick at the end of the game, but we know how that happened. Um, I thought he played well besides that. And then in, against Houston, he only had two incompletions, or he had one incompletion in the interception, right? So, you know, I, I don't know how you take away from that. Against Chicago, he didn't turn the ball over. They scored 26 points. Now, it wasn't always pretty, and he missed some throws there, right? And I thought, I thought the inaccuracy from Chicago carried over to the Vikings game, which is why maybe it's a little bit more of a red flag. I, I flashed to a – he had a Harrison Bryant kind of a deep cross that he missed, and the game would have been over against Chicago. Instead, it kind of extended the doubt of the game, you know, gave Chicago another chance with the ball. Um, and he had him wide open. And Baker pointed to that after this game. He said, I, it, it's a dagger-type play where you can end things. And he missed Bryant. And then he said – he kind of compared it to the, the throw to Odell late against the Vikings, where he had Odell wide open down the sideline. Now, that was more miscommunication, right? I don't think that was an inaccurate throw. I think ba – I know Baker expected Odell to stop. Odell saw no safety, figured I'm just going to keep running, throw it up, it's an easy touchdown. So, of all the Baker misfires – that was more miscommunication. Um, but again, it was a play late in the game that if he makes, the game's over. And you don't have that drama to the last second and, man, did Greedy interfere or not. So he was kicking himself for that. And then I, I just finally on that topic, you know, you look at, okay, the missed throws he had. The, perhaps the biggest one that jumps out to me was, and this leads into maybe the Odell chemistry discussion, is <laughs> – I thought I was already leading into that. <laughs> but inside the five, right? Inside the five, I think it was inside the five, they had Odell ran kind of a triple move. He ran in and out and up. And Baker had time, and Odell comes open, as open as you're going to get inside the red zone. And Baker threw it like five yards out of bounds. Now, that's not a chemistry issue. It's a bad throw by Baker, right? So, to me, you know, that was a seven-point throw that he doesn't make. And then he missed other throws, and he had Odell behind the defense one time, and he had to step up in the pocket. He just didn't get enough on the throw. And that's one of those kind of off-schedule plays that, man, you wish he could always make. And he's made some, but, you know, God, all he has to do is put a little more on it, and it's a touchdown. But the one inside the red zone was an easy throw, and he doesn't make it. And, like, that's the one, if I were Baker, I'd be, God, that's the one I'd want to have back. Yeah, I just wonder if you refuse to let the Odell Beckham Jr. situation just even enter your mind. Because I, <laughs> I tried to trap you and lead, lead you into just saying, oh, yeah, Baker played great last year after Odell got hurt. And Baker played great this year until he came <laughs> back. Because, you know, I could have saved everyone a lot of time. But I, I just oh, don't feel God. like you – I don't feel like you will even accept that. But, Scott, the eyes, oh, the eye God. test tells me. I mean, the guy is so much better when Odell's not out there. So you got to get your eyes checked, buddy. He threw – he was 5 for 77 against the Bears a week ago in Odell's first game back. He was fine. He hit no, – he hit, he hit Odell I'm a couple not, times against, against um, the Vikings. He missed everybody against the Vikings. It's not an Odell thing. 
it's he just didn't throw it well. And it's, that's not Odell's fault. And I don't think it's even having Odell out there. He just, to me, the, I'm not he blaming, can boil it I'm down to Baker play bad. I'm not blaming Odell necessarily. He, he, you're right. His numbers were good in his first game back. He looks good out there. What I'm trying to say is, is that the bottom line is, is that there's a different feeling and things are different when Baker knows Odell's on the field. I just, I believe it. I do. I just feel like it's there. I mean, I, 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 I don't know how you, we can't, I don't know. I mean, you think you don't think there's anything there at all. You don't think he don't plays think. different or looks his way uh, too often, or uh, there's nothing well, there. You're telling me? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Now, I wow. think I think if you if you want to break down 2019 film in maybe even week one last year against the Ravens, I think you have a point that he was maybe obsessed is too strong a word, but. He was focused on Odell and getting the ball to Odell. And I, I think it really showed up in week one last year against the Ravens. It felt like he was forcing the ball there. Now, the Browns got beat 38-6, to six, so it didn't matter. And maybe he was just looking for kind of a port in the storm. But I, I thought, you know, before Odell got hurt last year, that dissipated. Stefanski had an influence, less Odell, whatever, less pressure about Odell. And I know it's only been two games, but I've not noticed it in the two games and I'm looking for it and I haven't noticed it. If you look at the seven targets that Odell had in Minnesota, like they were all legitimate targets and he's open. Now Baker only hit him twice and there was a miscommunication at the end. Baker throws it out of bounds a couple of times. He throws it short the one time. Like it's, 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 I didn't think he forced it to him at all. I thought, I thought Odell was open on every throw that Baker tried to get it to him. He just missed him. And I think we also have to remember, if he's your number one receiver, which he is, and he clearly is without Jarvis Landry on the field, seven targets is not a lot. I mean, Baker threw the ball 33 times. That's like 23% of the targets, if I'm doing my quick math. Um, That's not an abundance of targets, right? Justin Jefferson, I bet, got more of those targets from Kirk Cousins, and he has Adam Thielen running next to him. So – I get that this narrative is out there and I, I'm not saying it's not founded in any basis because I think there was some basis back in the day, but I think it continues without new evidence feeding the narrative. It's almost as if the stats are the science and, and you're going, <laughs> you're, Oh, Chad, don't go there. <laughs> I don't know. I just like, I just think back to that Kansas city game. And like, I remember just walking away being like, God, that offense is incredible. Like Baker looks so good. You know, they were hitting on all cylinders and it's just like, there were so many games last year where it was the same thing. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, again, I don't have the, the, um, the stats necessarily to, well, I mean, his stats aren't as good. I mean, it, the bottom line is when Odell's in the lineup, Baker's stats aren't as good, right? Well, what, yeah, what but if it? you go to the – if just go to the Chicago game a week ago. They scored 26 points. They had two failed fourth downs in scoring territory. Like, they should have easily scored 30. And that's with Odell in the lineup catching seven balls. Right? Like, you can't say the offense didn't look good. It moved up and down the field all day. I'm, I don't know if Jamie Gillen punted in that game. Or if he did, it was like once or twice. Like, that was Odell – in the game, no Jarvis, and the offense was fine. So I, I need you to give me a game where Baker throws it, where Baker's accurate, and the offense still doesn't move, and then maybe we can talk about Odell being – Well, they, they, it was more field goals than touchdowns. 
in the Bears game. Uh, okay. I mean, they, <laughs> I mean, they kicked four. But, I mean, they moved up and down the field. I mean, I, I don't know. I just I, I just don't I, – I, I, I'm just not willing to connect those dots, I guess. <laughs> I got, I got you. Yeah. I, well, let me ask you this. Is, is not having Jarvis Landry a problem? Is, yes. is he maybe the number one guy? I will. I'll give you that. I'll give you in the number one between Jarvis and Odell, I think is an interesting discussion. Um, but I'll give you that Baker misses Jarvis. And I think he misses the third down third and shorts where you can trust Jarvis to win off the line of scrimmage where he knows Jarvis is going to catch the ball when he throws it to him. You know, there's a slant that he tried to throw to Higgins that Higgins just couldn't get open and Baker threw it anyway. And it got knocked away and you have to trust your guy to win. And he didn't win. And maybe Jarvis wins on that. Right. Maybe Jarvis finds a way to get open in the red zone and we're not talking about a failed fourth and four. So I, I do think the lack of Jarvis has an impact on Baker. Um, there's no doubt about it. Now, who, you know, who becomes the number one when both those guys are healthy? Um, that'll be interesting. But I, I like I like that problem or not even a problem. I like that situation where you have both those guys out wide with the running backs you have, with the tight ends you have. And then with that complement of third receivers, like this offense should only get better, right? I think the line will settle in, uh, you know, eventually you would hope Jedrick Will's ankle heals and he starts playing better and the protection holds up more. Like, you know, I thought the fans made a good point. He said, after a couple of weeks, we're talking about, we got to fix the defense and it looks like it got fixed. So, you know, now the focus is on the offense and I have confidence that the offense will get better. What, when you broke down that play where he missed Odell for that would have been an easy touchdown, right? Yeah. Who – could you explain – do you think it was – did Baker – was there mis, miscommunication on where the ball was supposed to be? Like, have we figured that out exactly? Like on the short one in the end zone? Like the red zone one? No, no. the, oh, end the other the one? Yeah, yeah, the end of the game. Here's, here's what I kind of inferred from what Baker said that – a first down kind of wins the game, right? The Browns can take a knee. So once Odell cleared the coverage, which was Harrison Smith, he just beat him on that kind of wheel route. He expected Odell to slow up. So it's an easier, shorter throw. But Odell saw that the safety had gone to the middle of the field and no one was in front of him. So Odell just kept running thinking we got an easy touchdown. And that's where the miscommunication is. Baker said, I should have over-communicated and told Odell, and this is me reading into what Baker said, but I feel pretty confident about it, is if you get open there, sit down and settle, and we'll get to completion, and we win the game. Okay. I, I think we've talked enough about it. I have one more theory on it, and yeah. I'm going to save that for the future and see how this plays out. And I hope you're right. I hope that uh, – because I'm not saying that you're wrong. I just feel like it – uh, you know, it, it's, it's still something people are talking about and we're still talking about that. Well, yeah. I know. I'm sure I might be, I, I'm, I might even be in the minority in this discussion. Um, I just feel pretty strongly how I feel. Yeah, no. And I, I love the take and, and we'll continue to break it down. And I, I hope that Odell and Baker combined for, you know, three touchdowns this week and it's not even a big deal anymore for sure. Uh, we got to move on though. We spent enough time on that. Uh, where are we at injury wise? Um, Jed Wills did not go on IR today, which means, you know, it doesn't mean he'll definitely play Sunday, but it looks like they're going to try to, you know, have him fight it out again and see if he can play um, 
on that gimpy ankle. You know, he's he hasn't finished the last any of the four games this year. Um, Greg Newsome, I, I don't know if he'll play this week or gets one more week off. I think with great greedy, you have the luxury of maybe giving Greg another week off if you, you know, if he's not that calf isn't healthy yet. I expect Anthony Walker Jr., the linebacker, to come back from IR this week, which should be a bump to the defense, right? He's your middle linebacker, he's your signal caller. Um, besides that, I think pretty much guys are healthy. Chris Hubbard, if Wills can't go, um, I'm not sure. It's We'll have to see if Chris Hubbard is ready to be that backup at left tackle, or do they go with the rookie James Hudson III? I just love how Wills is trying to gut through it, though, man. That's just an offensive lineman for you, right? With the, uh, you know, with when when you see these guys and how many times is Joe Thomas hurt, whether it's an ankle or yeah. a knee. And, and I just love that. That that's what I love about this team right now is they just seem. Um, they, Scott, you know what they are? It's so cliche. They're a team, like right now. I mean, like everyone's out there fighting for each other. You know, guys that are hurt. You know, they all have the same goal. It's just it's it's a beautiful thing to see right now. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think two points there. The Wills thing, I, I think the coaches and maybe his teammates really felt like he needed to tough this out. Like he needed to prove something to those guys. Because just the way guys have talked about it since it's happened, um, you know, since he's fought through this injury, like I think it's, it was a collective effort to say, hey, you got to learn when you can play through something. And he's trying, and I, I really do think – He's earned some respect for trying to fight this out. And then it's not, you know, Alex Van Pelton. It's not one of those things where you say, hey, I'll take a week or two off. You don't do that in this level, especially at that position, right? O-line. You're watching J.C. Treader doesn't even practice barely, and then he goes out and plays because that's how important it is to be, you know, that mindset to an offensive lineman. And then a thing on the chemistry, you know, Miles Garrett last week or a couple of weeks ago talked about challenging you know, everybody needs I need to play better. The guys need to capitalize when I get double teamed. But it wasn't just that. He and Malcolm Smith instituted this Thursday players only, defense only, like study session. And it's not long. It's like 20 minutes. And they do it every Thursday now. But it's just so the guys can get on the same page even more. And they don't have the coaches in their ear. So they can just talk amongst each other and don't have to worry about the coaches. You know, oh, how do you not know that? and kind of just iron some things out. And they do that on top of additional walkthroughs that Joe Woods has instituted. And I think that's a great sign. I think it's Miles and Malcolm Smith being veterans and everybody buying in and say, yeah, we're willing to spend this extra time, whether it was, you know, lunchtime or whatever that extra 20 minutes is in your day. Um, and the guys have really pointed to that as a turning point in the defense. All right, let's look forward to uh... – this coming Sunday, four o'clock window on the road against the Chargers. This is going to be a tough one. We just saw them last night beat the Raiders on Monday Night Football. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good, aren't they? And they got, you know, you, I watched that game live, and then I went back and watched the week before they beat the Chiefs, right? I think it was in Arrowhead, and that's a big win. So, they're good. They got a new coach in Brandon Staley who looks like he's got his thing, you know, his act together. Reminds me a lot of Kevin Stefanski, just a smart guy. He gambled on fourth downs a bunch um, against that cheat in that Chiefs game for sure. Um, an aggressive style. He's a played quarterback in college, coached on defense. So he kind of knows both sides of the ball. Justin Herbert is legit. I mean, that quarterback, 
Um, you know, he broke Baker's rookie passing touchdown record a year ago. He's got a huge arm. He seems really accurate. I mean, I watched two games and it felt like every throw was right where he wanted it to be. He's got a little athleticism where he can get outside. I mean, he's not a runner, but he can keep plays alive and create and throws it a mile on the move. Um, Keenan Allen, um, Mike Williams at receiver, Eckler at running back. Like, they got some players. And then they have, you know, Joey Bosa at defensive end or linebacker they play him, but he's mostly just a pass rushing defensive end um, who can get to the quarterback. So they got a lot of pieces, and they're 3-1 and one leading the uh, NFC or AFC West. Austin Eckler, tough running back, a uh, guy that if he stays healthy is is uh, definitely a, a gold mine in fantasy if he yeah. stays healthy. So bottom line is, you know, as, as you mentioned with with uh, Herbert, yeah, he's so tough. I mean, they, they're gonna this defense, the Browns defense, are gonna have their hands full. They will, and that's you know we're gonna get into predictions right now. That like that's where I'm going back and forth, right? The Browns defense played so well. Um, the Chargers defense played well Monday night against a Raiders offense that was lighting things up. Now it just felt like one of those games for the Raiders. Like maybe they were three and oh and kind of relaxed a little bit. They got off to a terrible start. Um, against the Chiefs, the Chargers defense gave up a bunch of yards, but they had like four turnovers. I think the Chiefs turned it over in the first three drives. So, you know, that helped a lot. But, you know, takeaways are an important part of the game and your defense takes the ball away. Um, the coaches love to see that, right? And it, it's, a, it's a check mark on the positive for the defense. They have some playmakers, Derwin James in the back end. They got rookie cornerback Asante Samuel Jr. Um, so, yeah, there's, it's, it's one of those matches where I go, okay, I, on the face value, I say, man, both offenses look like they can score. And maybe it'll be a high-scoring game. Then I go, well, both defense have been playing well, so how low does that keep the score, right? Does it? Does it keep it from getting into the 30s, which it could easily get? How does the game play out? Does it get into a shootout? Or is there enough pass rush from both sides on third down that we get more punts than maybe we expect? You know, so that's kind of what I'm fighting with when I'm trying to figure out what my, uh, what my prediction is going to be. You're the head coach of the Browns. What's your game plan? Especially when you're, you know, you have to do the long travel and you're going up against a team that's hot. And we've seen Stefanski do multiple things. You know, is the goal just to stick with your identity and try to get to the point to where you can just wear them down at the end of the game with the running game? Or, or do you come out stronger with the running attack to start the game? Yeah, that's a good question. So, like, the Chargers entered last night terrible against the run. And part of that's the way they played the Chiefs. Like, they wanted the Chiefs to run it so that Mahomes wasn't throwing it. So they played soft. And they allowed a lot of six and seven yard runs, just kind of to limit to make the Chiefs take a long time and not hit any big plays on them. And I don't think I would be shocked if they played the same defense against the Browns with their running game and, you know, Baker coming off the game he had. Um, but I, I think Kevin Stefanski will come out and try to get Baker in a rhythm early, get him some, get him some easy throws, some easy completions, let him kind of get into things. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be pass, pass, pass. But I think we'll see some throws early, and then, yes, then you turn to the run game. Then you try to wear down that defense. And the, the other part of the run game is you possess the ball, and you keep it away from 
whether it's Kirk Cousins or Pat Mahomes or Justin Herbert, right? You keep it away from them. And, and that's, to me, that's the, the right formula to play when you have the running backs and the offensive line that you have, right? And it doesn't get your quarterback hit. It's easier to run block for your offensive line than dropping back on third and long. So I, I think all those things play into, I think the Browns will run it a bunch, but it wouldn't shock me if they came out throwing, trying to get Baker's confidence up, just get him in that rhythm that he talked about not having against the Vikings. Yeah, I'd love to see Baker just come out and, you know, have the type of game where we're not even discussing it anymore. You know, he just comes out and lights him up, no doubt, because there, there's no doubt he has the capabilities to do it. There is no question. So, all right. Are you ready for prediction time? I am. You or me first? Uh, I think you're going to go first this week. I all think right. I went first last week because you laughed when I gave the score. That's true. And yeah. So yeah. Uh, you're on the – is this the most difficult one of the year now? I mean, and yeah. we can start. We might be saying that a lot as we go down right. the line. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, you know, I was talking about where to go with the score. And I originally wrote down 31-30. And then it just felt it felt like an insult to the defense, the way it's played <laughs> the last two games. Right? Like, I mean, what else, they they've given up single-digit points for the first time since 95. And I'm going to have them given up 30. Now, it could happen, right? It's the NFL, and I've been raving about Herbert. Um, but so I brought it down a tone or just a tad. I'm going to go 27-26 Browns. I think it's going to be a great game. I think they're pretty evenly matched teams. I think the defense will get some pressure on Herbert. It's just a matter of if they can affect him enough, like they affected Cousins. It's a tougher matchup for the corners. Um, not that, I mean, the Vikings have big-time receivers, but – the Chargers have big guys in Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Like, those are tough targets, tough matchups. Um, I mean, so were the Vikings guys. But uh, it just, And we got Herbert. Like, it just feels like a similar matchup. But um, I don't think the Browns are going to be able to keep them out of the end zone like they kept the Vikings out. I, I just see it playing differently this week. I think the Browns might have an advantage because the Chargers are coming off. Not only is it a short week, playing on Monday night, it's two big emotional division games in a row, right? Chiefs and Raiders. And I think it's just natural. And I think this is how this league works. There's ebbs and flows to the league. And I think a team coming off two wins like that, yeah, they could stay hot, but I, I think there's a tendency to have a little bit of a letdown. So maybe the Browns catch them in the right spot. The Browns offense obviously is looking for a rebound. So I, I'm going to go with the Browns in another close game, and I get 27-26. Wow. That is convincing. I mean, that is a heck of an argument. Man. What do you got, Chug? <laughs> well, what I, what I had, I'm starting to reconsider because of how you just totally sold that. That you have no concern. I, the, the Monday night thing is the biggest thing that I see as a challenge for, um, for um, LA is definitely the Monday night thing. We've seen that many times in, in history be a factor. Yep. Do you have any concern with the, the Browns traveling across country with that? In, I in don't. No. No. And I'll tell you what, I also think there's going to be a ton of Browns fans at that stadium. Yeah. You're you right know, we heard that. a bunch of Raiders fans last night. I, I think there'll be a bunch of Browns fans. So I don't know if it'll feel like a road game. Um, you know, the travel, I'm not saying the travel is no factor, but I'm not, I'm not making it any part of my thought process. Yeah, right. Okay. No, that's that's interesting. Um, and you're right, boy. I tell you, they 
they're the, the first team that shut down Thielen, so they did a great job against yeah. those uh, Minnesota. I'm I'm stalling here because I I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I you know here's the thing I don't want people to listen and be like oh you know downer you know I listen I'm a Browns fan I I I I, I hate picking against them but. Again, I'm going to go against them, and I'm going to go 24-23 okay. uh, Chargers. And, again, you know, I could change my mind as the week goes on. I thought about it last week. I stuck with the Vikings, and I was wrong. Um, I just think that uh, now you need to prove to me that you can win two tough games on, on the road in a row. Uh, I do think, you know, I do think the travel could affect them a little bit. And um, I just think the home, not, not that they have a huge home field, like you said, the, the Browns fans, like that could be big. But I just think at the end of the day, uh, I think Herbert, you know, finds a way to uh, lead, lead um, the Chargers to victory. And, you know, I know a lot of people are booing me and are not happy <laughs> with that, but, but that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I mean, I get that. And, and it could easily, I mean, it could easily go that way. I mean, tw- we got one point games, right? So that means a, yeah. b- a big call, a big play. I mean, that changes. <laughs> Right, that changes the outcome. The line, when I looked it up this afternoon, the early line I saw was the Chargers by like half a point, which means yeah. it's going to be a close game, right? I mean, that's obviously what Vegas thinks. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be a good one. I'm looking forward to watching, see if Baker bounces back. Uh, I like watching Herbert. I haven't watched him a ton, but I've seen him two games in a row, and I really like how he plays. When you talk about the young quarterbacks in the AFC, he's certainly one of them. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be a good game. I, I You know, it's one of those things we talked about this tough stretch of, you know, for the Browns and their schedule. Um, but I got them, you know, I got them 12 and five and winning the division. Right. So you're going to have to win a bunch of these games, right. You don't no, get to 12 and five without stringing some wins together. So yeah, it's been three in a row. Um, I, I think they make it four in a row. And then that matchup against Arizona, I'm not getting ahead of myself here, but you know, that could be something. Yeah. That could be um, something to see because we could some have people a four think, and one some team. People- yeah, some people think Arizona's the best team in the league right now. I know, I mean, and I might have to eat my – I've never liked Kyler Murray. I, you know, the too small and not my style, but um, I might have to start reconsidering that because he's playing out of his mind. He really is. Well, and it is funny how you and I are so close on these predictions with the score. I mean, we're one, we each did a one-point game. Right. And that, and that kind of tells, us, tells you that we could each go either way, yeah. um, you know, but you, you make strong points – for the Browns, no doubt. Uh, yeah, this, I just looked here, and the line right now, it's uh, where I'm looking is Chargers by a point and a half, which, point makes, half, okay. that, which makes a strong case for the Browns to win the game. I mean, because yeah. usually you always get three points, right, just for being at home. Right, right, uh, right. But, yeah, I just uh, – boy, I don't know. I, I know last week I asked a good friend of mine who is, um, you know, a, he's a astute NFL guy, and I said – well, I think, you know, a lot of national people, some national people were picking the Vikings, but I felt like there was a pretty strong case that anyone I asked, you know, was really picking the Browns over the Vikings. And, and I just said to him, I'm like, you know, am I missing something here? And he said, you know, if the Browns are, are going to win a division and go to where they, we think they need to go, they got to win games like this yeah. against Minnesota. And he was right. You were right. And they do. So let's see if they can do it again in LA. Yep. Cool. Hey, Chuck. Thanks again, buddy. This was a Another jam-packed one. Always something to talk about, and we'll keep an eye on uh, Baker and Odell, huh? Absolutely. Cool. All right, thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, this is um, the Zone Coverage Podcast, and you we can read all my articles at brownzone.com. So for Dave Jodowski, this is Scott Petrick. Thanks again.